Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 14. Chapter 14. So we're moving, uh, continuing through our uh, studies through the book of Acts, and pretty soon we'll be in Romans. So in Acts 14, I love this chapter so much. It's You see the apostles straight up on offense, and it's beautiful to behold. And remember, when I say offense and speak about uh, 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 fighting and fighting the good fight, always remember that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not carnal in nature. They are highly spiritual. They are heavenly, divine weapons that the Lord gives us. And it's so beautiful to see the apostles in action, straight up, you know, metaphysically speaking, hand-to-hand combat. And so you see here in verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, Now it happened in Iconium. And, you know, always when we look at these passages in the book of Acts, always make reference to the back of the Bible, like the very back, if your Bible has maps, because you'll see Paul's first missionary journey. In another map, you'll see his second missionary. And you'll see like, whoa, this is so cool because it tracks his path and the steps. So here it happens. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke. So in the same manner as what they spoke in the synagogue in Antioch, uh, you see they're, they're doing the exact same thing. And it's so cool because they go straight up to the synagogue, you know, right to the hornet's nest. And it's so beautiful what happens because remember, it was the Holy Spirit who says, you know, separate these guys to me for the work to which I have called them. And we saw that several chapters ago. And in fulfillment of that, and in obedience to the Holy Spirit, in obedience to the guiding of the Lord, it's so cool because you see these people, you see Paul, you see Barnabas, and you know, other apostles, Philip, all the people we've read, it's like, wow, they're all in obedience to the Lord. And you see how it's so cool how, you know, we say obedience to the Lord, obedience to God, obedience to Jesus Christ, you know, they're led by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're thinking like, wow, which is it? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's one and the same. One and the same. Elohim, the triune nature of God. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you see, it's so beautiful. Look what happens here. And so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed. So Jew and Gentile, both Jew and Gentile, they're receiving Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Savior. But, but... Always remember here, verse 2, it says, But offense is not without opposition. Not without opposition. Never ever forget that when you go on the offense. A lot of times people choose a defensive posture, which is fine. I'm not, you know, speaking negatively about a defensive posture. But then at the same time, always remember that there is another side to the coin, which is offense. But a lot of people, because they do not like opposition, they choose to take a defensive posture. Because in some ways, it's easier to be in a defensive posture. But you know what's so beautiful about obedience to the Word of God and obedience to the Holy Spirit and obedience to Jesus Christ? Is opposition is... is, part of the gig, you know, not to speak, you know, loosely, too loosely about our walk with the Lord, but opposition is just part of the gig. 
the closer you get to Jesus Christ in your walk with him, in your intimacy with him, the more and more and more the world will hate you. Because this world can't stomach that. We're not, we're not for this world. The Christian, the believer in Jesus Christ is not for this world. We're for the world that is to come. You say, what do you mean? Well, don't forget there's going to be a new earth, a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. That's what the Christian is designed for. And it all starts with being born again. And that's where it all begins. Born again, receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then we grow, we matriculate, we learn, we mature in Christ. We put aside the elementary things. And then it's like, well, you know, you, you get more, not more obedient, but you remain obedient to the Lord. And you get more knowledge of Jesus Christ. You grow, you mature, you're obedient to Him. And then all of a sudden you'll start to realize, hey, people don't like you anymore. Because you're not hanging out with the old crowd anymore. You have a new crew that you hang out with. And not just a new crew. It's like, you know, sometimes the new crew, like a, a church crew, so to speak. Sometimes you have some people that are on the fence. They have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. So they'll go with you to church. You know, they'll listen to a sermon with you. But then they'll also give you a phone call and say, hey, let's go to the club. Let's go, let's go bar hopping. You know, but no, it doesn't work that way. I can't mandate that on anybody. I can make strong exhortations, you know, but I can't mandate how a person has to live their life. We can go through the Word, study the Word of God, and it's the Lord who brings the increase. All we can do, all I can do, all you can do is plant or water. That's it. Plant or water. It's God who gives the increase. Never forget that. And so look what happens here. It says, you know, so they're making headway. I don't, I don't, I don't mean to make it sound like you know a business per se, because it is, it's God's business. But they're making headway, Jew and Gentile. They're all receiving Jesus Christ. But here's the opposition: the unbelieving Jews. This is the source of the opposition. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. Notice, you know, it's uh, this tactic of incitement and instigation. That's what they're doing, these unbelieving Jews. They're stirring up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. This is a huge deal. Poison their minds. How it translates in the Greek is to injure and make mind and soul evil by persuasion and vexation. That's the poisoning of the mind. To injure. And make the mind and soul evil by persuasion and vexation. I'll give you an example of how this works. You and me both, we know that truth cuts to the heart. That's how the Word of God is. Sometimes you read a couple passages and it's like, it's so beautiful, like music to your ears. And then you keep reading and all of a sudden you feel like you have a knife in your heart. And it's from the front. You know, the Lord doesn't, isn't going to stab you from the back. It's from the front because, you know, he, face to face. That's what truth does. And it's the Holy Spirit that is doing that, cutting you to the heart. You know why? Because He's making a new creation. That's why. If you're a believer, 
He's making a new creation and he wants to continue to make you new and new and new. It's like a return to innocence. Innocence in Jesus Christ. You know, you're a, a newborn baby. They're you know, born into corruption and all of a sudden as they grow, innocence gets lost. As they taste of this world, as they experience this world. And then you become born again. Your sins are forgiven. And then it's like you obey Jesus Christ. You obey his word. And then all of a sudden, it's like a return to innocence. It's like, wow, you know, I don't, I don't do the crack pipe anymore. I don't do the drugs. I don't do the alcohol. I don't do the sexual stuff anymore. That's what I mean when I say it's a return to innocence. But that's the impact of truth. You know, it cuts you to the heart. And when you're on the receiving end of truth, it's either humbling or it's angering. You can get either angry or you can be humbled at truth. It's much better. The good approach is to be, you know, be humbled by truth and then get yourself right with God. How does that happen? Jesus Christ. You know, you might have to repent depending on, you know, what truth has cut in your heart. You might have to say, Lord, you know, forgive me. I didn't know, Lord, I blew it. That's upon coming to the realization of a wrong you have these preconceived notions about whatever, whatever topic, whatever subject, whatever lifestyle. And then all of a sudden you keep reading their Bible and keep reading and reading. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, Lord, this is wild. I had no idea. And when you're humble before him, you repent and you say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to live my life like this anymore. I'm going to put down the crack pipe. I'm going to put down the alcohol. I'm going to put down the pornography. But sometimes you're confronted with truth and you'll get mad. I shouldn't say you'll get mad, but people will get mad. We have the example in Acts 2. When Peter confronted with truth, he gave the good news to the group of people. And, you know, it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, you guys, they said, Peter, what do we do, men and brethren? What do we do? Peter says, repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what they did because they sought the Lord in humility, confronted with truth. But then you keep reading a couple chapters later. And Peter has an encounter with the religious leaders, the priests. And it says that they were cut to the heart. Actually, it was uh, Stephen. Stephen, when he gave them, you know, the, the gospel, he gave them like a little dissertation of, uh, 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 of the Old Testament. And then Stephen, he says, you know what? You killed Jesus Christ. And it says that the religious leaders, the priests, they were cut to the heart and they were mad. So both the humble and the angry, they were both cut to the heart. That's what truth does. The question is, how will you and I respond to truth? That's the question. And so, in verse 2, when these uh, unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds, it's to take their mind and make their minds and souls evil by persuasion. So, here's the example. Any person can be like these unbelieving Jews by persuasion and make minds evil. Say, for example, we're sitting in the pews, you and me. And say, for example, we're friends. I mean, you know, we're friends, but I mean, say, you know, for this, you know, for this example. And we're sitting in the pews. I'm sitting next to you. I have my Bible and you have your Bible. 
and your Bible, our Bibles were in our laps, and we're listening to the preacher. And all of a sudden, the preacher starts reading through the word and then, you know, uh, uh, explaining and teaching. And I'm cut to the heart. And not just cut to the heart, I start to get angry. And I start to get angry and I'm offended because my feelings are hurt. Because whatever the preacher is saying, it's like, well, I'm confronted with truth and my lifestyle. It's the crossroad of biblical truth and my life choices. And I don't like it. And then all of a sudden, I lean in on you and I say, wow, this guy is such a jerk. Let's get out of here. Let's stop coming here. And what I'm doing is by persuasion. It's like corruption by persuasion. That's not a good situation to be in. Not for you, you know, you as hearing that, for me as purporting those things. That's what these Jews are doing here, these unbelieving Jews. You know, I can give an actual account and name names of certain individuals, certain people who poison the minds of others by persuasion because their feelings were hurt. It's the exact same thing of what's happening here in verse 2. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. You know, it's part and parcel. It's part of the gig. Not to cheapen, you know, ministry. But it's part of the gig when you're a deliverer of truth. When you're a messenger of God's word. It's when you stand up for righteousness. Number one, the world is going to hate you. Because you're making your choices and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to stand on this rock of salvation, which is the word of God and which is Jesus Christ. But then at the same time, when the Holy Spirit nudges at your heart and says, okay, now I want you to say something to these people. And you start speaking. You know, it could be that the receiving end of the words that are you're uttering the words that are coming out of your mouth, some people might receive it humbly and repent and receive Jesus Christ. And other people might receive it angrily because their heart is not right with the Lord. Here in verse 2, the Jews are unbelieving. Either way, their heart wasn't right with the Lord. And this is the source of opposition. And look what they do. They start to corrupt and injure and make these minds and souls evil by vexation. It's like to say, oh, I'm, I'm angry at this guy, so I'm going to turn you against him when you don't have any beef with him. And if it's a preacher, you know that preacher example, it's like your beef isn't with the guy, your beef is with the word of God. And it's to say, well, if my beef is with the Bible then I'm the one that has to yield to the Bible. Or, you know, we can read passages about what happens if I don't yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's why, you know, as we continue in our studies through the Bible, there's always the mention of, you know what, you need to yield to the Word of God the same way I need to yield to the Word of God. There's no high horses over here. It's to say, wow, Lord, I've blown it. You know, 
Forgive me, Lord. I don't want to make a mess of these things. And we're the ones that yield to him. That's called obedience. And so now look what happens. In verse 3, therefore, they stayed there a long time. (laughs) I love these apostles so much. It's like, you know, they're not chicken. They're not scaredy cats. It's like, you know, the Jews are stirring up the Gentiles and poison their minds against the brethren. And the brethren are like, okay, that's fine. We're going to stay here longer. Remember, it's their attitude. Their attitude isn't like, you know, just to be spiteful. Their attitude is like, you know what? Let's be obedient to Jesus Christ. Let's be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So the opposition arises and they're not chicken. They're not scaredy cats running for the hills. Verse 3 says they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. I love this. Because it's like saying, you know what? You don't like what we have to say? You don't like what we speak? Look, here's some more. And not just more of truth, but I'm going to give you heavier dosage. A heavier dosage of truth. That's what I love so much about Paul. Paul and Barnabas, Peter. They're like super bold. And it says they're speaking boldly in the Lord. And then at the same time, remember that Paul, we're seeing Paul here as a messenger. Messenger and evangelist. You know, so he's like a warrior, a warrior, fisherman, and shepherd. That's why I love Paul so much. I'm so in love with this guy. He's a warrior, fisherman, and a shepherd. And so it says here, they were speaking boldly in the Lord. In verse 3, who who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. So it's like God was with them straight up. They're not alone. It says they're speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. God is with them. Granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. You know, this is something that really blows me away. Because a lot of people say that these, the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, it was only reserved for the book of Acts for that dispensation 2,000 some years ago. You know, give or take several years. A lot of people say it was just for that dispensation. It's not for today. Well, my question is, where in the Bible does it say there's an expiration date on the moving of the Holy Spirit? Never. You won't find it. You will not find it. But then at the same time, it begs the question, well, why don't we see these things, you know, widespread in the church at large? Well, maybe you're looking in the wrong places. I can give you accounts of healings happening. It happens in the persecuted church. It happens in a lot of non-Western churches. And it blows me away. You know, I was with a guy once in another country. I was with the guy, you know, and he had severe shoulder pain. Severe shoulder pain. I mean, the docs couldn't heal him. The medics couldn't heal him. Nothing. He had severe shoulder pain. And so we went to this little church fellowship. And he was rubbing his arm. And one of the elders, we were talking to him. And he says, oh, are you okay? And he says, you know, I've had this shoulder pain. It's severe. It's pretty bad. And so the elder, he called out for some other elders. And the elders came and he says, we want to pray with you. We want to pray over you. And they laid hands on his shoulder. 
and they started to pray. And as they were praying, you could hear like popping in his shoulder. And it was so beautiful because they were done praying. And then all of a sudden, my friend's shoulder, he was like, we were all like amazed. Like what? Like the medics, the docs, they couldn't heal this guy. They just gave him pain medication. But like, and these guys come and they pray and his pain is gone. And as surely as the Lord lives, his pain was gone. And as they were praying, you could hear the popping. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. It's not that we need signs and wonders to believe. It's not like to say, oh, I'm not going to believe in Jesus Christ unless I see signs and wonders. Remember, Jesus Christ says it's a cruel, a wicked and cruel generation that seeks after a sign. A wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. We don't need signs to believe and wonders and miracles. But that's not to say signs and wonders and miracles don't happen. That's like an extreme, you know, the people who say that that was for that dispensation, that was for 2,000 years ago, it's not for today. Look at the persecuted church. Look at these prayer warriors and the persecuted church and the healings that happen in their fellowships. And you know what? It just blows me away so much because as we read the book of Acts, it's to say, wow, look at, the, like, look at what happened in ancient history. No, it's to say, wow, look at what can happen today in your life. You know when the opposition comes, when you make a stand for Jesus Christ and the people hate you, they want to kill you. They call you a legalist. They say you're taking the Bible too far. You're going too far with Jesus Christ. Man, you know, I, take, I wear that with the badge of honor. Oh, you're going too far with Jesus Christ. Good. I want to go so far with Jesus Christ that I'm out of here. I want to go so far with Jesus Christ that I'm dead. So take that as a compliment when they tell you, oh, you know, you're going too far with this Jesus Christ business. You're such a legalist. You're going too far. You know, wear that as a badge of honor. And you see the Lord is with the apostles here. You know, they're speaking boldly in the Lord. And the Lord himself is bearing witness to the word of his grace and granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. I think this is something that's going to be more prevalent as we near the last days. And not just prevalent among like the regular people, but I mean prevalent among the shepherds, the godly shepherds, among the godly saints. You're going to see the Holy Spirit like inside of the people. The Bible teaches that in the last days, the Holy Spirit will be lifted up. But the only ones who will have the Holy Spirit are the ones who have plenty of oil in their lamps and plenty of reserve. You read like prophecies in the book of Daniel, Daniel 11, you know, exploits in the last days. Those who know their God will perform great exploits in the age of the Antichrist. When all hell is breaking loose on the earth, quite literally, I don't mean to say that, you know, in, you know, uh, abrasiveness. But quite literally, hell will be breaking out on earth. And we're going to see these movings of the Spirit in the last days. The question is, do we have faith? And if we do have faith, can it grow? I say, yes, it can grow.
Because as Romans 12 teaches us, a measure of faith is given to every man. Let it grow. Let your faith go grow more and more and more and more. In verse 4, but the, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part sided with the apostles. You know, it's so cool because they entered Iconium and they started winning souls. And there was division in the town. Division. In verse 5, notice what happens. And when a violent attempt, translates as an assault, a violent assault was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. Notice here the opposition turns violent now. Physical harm. Physical harm. Mind you, it's from the religious establishment. That's the source of this opposition. That's the source of this assault. That's the source of this abuse and stoning. And it says in verse 6, they, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. So they said they head south to Lystra and east to Derby, And they were preaching the gospel there. You know, What's so interesting about these couple verses we read through, it's when you're about the Father's business, you're all about the Father's business. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say, when you're about the Father's business, you're all about the Father's business? Well, consider a carnal response when you're confronted with violence. What would a carnal response be when at the confrontation of violence? You know, carnally speaking, the response would be violence. You come at me with a stick, I'm going to come at you with a bat. You come at me with a knife, I'm going to come at you with a gun. You come at me with, you know, uh, a, a pipe, I'm going to come at you with a bigger pipe. You know, that's carnal speaking. But remember, in accordance with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit at work in your life and in my life, we are called to live peaceably. Peaceably. Remember, why is a serpent peaceful as doves? And in our efforts to live peaceably, peaceably, in our endeavors to live peaceably and be lovers of righteousness, we may need to flee a situation. We may need to flee. You may need to flee. Now, in my carnal side, my carnal nature, I hate the thought of that. I hate the thought of retreat. I hate that word retreat. I can't stand that word. But you know what freaks me out the most about the confrontation of violence? What scares me the most is the man in the mirror. That's what scares me the most. To have a mentality that says, you know what? You're going to come at me with the pipe. I'm going to come at you with the bigger pipe. You come at me with a knife, I'm going to come at you with a gun. That mentality scares me. Because that's the old man that has been reckoned dead in Christ. What about your old nature? We have to be very careful with the carnal nature. We all wrestle with the carnal nature. We're in these earth suits. 
the, 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 when your fight is done with your carnality, you'll be dead. You'll be dead. Because it's a lifelong battle. But you know, at any situation you're in, you have to measure, you know, is this a carnal response or is this a response that is led by the Holy Spirit? Is this response going to be pleasing to the Lord? And you know what? The world might call you a big chicken. The world might call you a big scaredy cat. But you know what you are? Righteous when you make these choices that honor the Lord. You know, I tell you the truth, 20 years ago, I, w I read the account of Stephen and I hated it. I hated it so much because I was like, man, Stephen, in my mind, I'm thinking like, Stephen, aren't you going to stand up for yourself? Pick up a stone and throw it back. Where are your friends? Where are your homies? Where are these Christians that supposedly were supposed to, you know, be a group, be a, like, you know, one. Where are they to come to your defense? And that was carnal thinking 20 some years ago. Today, I weep at the heroism of Stephen. Because he's one of the bravest souls. I can't wait to meet him. He's one of the bravest, most toughest souls. Because over the course of this 20 years, I've learned humility. You see, it's not to say, okay, you know, the apostles here, it says like, you know, it says in verse six, when they became aware of this violent attempt, when they became aware of the abuse and the stoning, you know, it got violent, physical harm was going to come upon them. And they fled in verse six, they became aware of it and fled. Now pause there for a moment. They became aware of it and fled. A carnal side of me says, wow, these guys are big chickens. Why not get your own stones? Why not get your own pipes? You know, and just brawl it out. Winner take all. That's carnal thinking. And it's quite easy to think that way. It's very easy to think that way. You know who can think that way? A two-year-old. A three-year-old, a five-year-old. That's baby thinking. But what is adult thinking? What is mature thinking? It's to take measurements, to take measure of these feelings. Anger might be one. It's to take measure of anger. It's to take measure of lust. It's to take a measure of sorrow and depression. And to say, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, does this choice honor you? You see? I, you know, you say, like, what, what, we're talking about violence here. Why did you throw in depression? Well, because, you know, you talk with people. It's like, you know, people open up. I don't know why, but people just open up. You know, you sit down. You're there in one chair. You're in your chair. And then people just start opening up. And you, after the course of an hour, you're like, wow, this was a beautiful conversation. But in the course of an hour, somebody might open up to you and say, man, you know, look at my past. My past was like this. I'm so depressed. 
I go to my psychiatrist. He gives me all these drugs. Look, I take these antidepressants. And, you know, if you're on antidepressants, I'm not, you know, saying, you know, you're going to burn in hell or anything like that. But you know what's so beautiful about depression? You say, oh, I'd like to hear this. What's beautiful about depression? It's to go to the Lord with a broken heart. Who else can you go to? I mean, when your heart is just straight up aching. And you're broken. You're like, I mean, if you were carnal, you'd jump off a bridge. And you go to the Lord and you have such severe pain, sorrow at whatever. And you go to the Lord and you have intimacy with Him. And you know what He does to you? He heals you. He gives you comfort. And He'll give you joy again. The joy might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. But as surely as the Lord lives, He will give you joy again. You will smile again. You will laugh again. That's why it's like you talk with these vets that come back and they, they're just drugged up. They're given their, you know, a cocktail of drugs, the dr- antidepressants, anxiety pills, all these, just a concoction, pain meds. And they're just zombies in life. And it's so sad. It's to say, you know, I, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not a doctor. But you know what? I know one who heals. It's to take your depression and go to the Lord and have intimacy with Him. Speak with Him. Pour your heart and soul out to Him. Pour your guts out to the Lord. If you're so, you're in the depths of sorrow, you're in the depths of depression, you're in the depths of sadness. The Lord is with you. You're not alone. The Lord is with you. Talk to Him. And you pray and you just, He knows already. But it's just nice to talk to Him and have intimacy with Him. And in the course of time, something will happen. Your relationship with Him will get tighter and closer and more intimate. And then, you know, in the course of time, the world will behold your pearly whites again. We'll get to see your smile again. That's what's so cool about going to the Lord in anything. Anger. Go to the Lord. Lust. Go to the Lord. Sorrow. Grief. Go to the Lord. Dependencies. Drugs. Alcohol. Go to the Lord. Don't go to the guy on the street. The street corner. The pusher. Don't go to the alcohol store. You go to the Lord. And that's what's so cool. You know, you see these. 20 years ago, I would read this verse and be like, man, these guys are such chickens. They became aware of violence against them and they're running. But remember, we have to live peaceably. We have to be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. Never, ever, ever forget that. Because when you hold near to these truths, it will change your response to certain stimulus. I mean, in verse 6, you'd be like, man, you know, carnally speaking, these guys are such chickens. Spiritually speaking, you look at verse 3, you're like, whoa, these guys are brave. 
They're brave. They stayed there even longer. They continued to speak boldly in the Lord. Look how brave they are in the Spirit. Change your perspective. You might be accused of being a big chicken. But you know what? Sometimes the one to fear is the man in the mirror. Sometimes the one to fear is the woman in the mirror. The carnal nature. Sometimes I think, I'm not trying to have sympathy for the devil. But sometimes I think Satan gets a bad rap sometimes. Because people say, oh yeah, Satan's attacking me, Satan's attacking me. And you talk to them, as you analyze the situation, and you're like, you know what? That sounds like you, man. That doesn't sound like Satan to me. You know, if that were Satan, you'd be like jumping off a bridge. If that were Satan, you know, you would have done something worse. It sounds like me that you're wallowing in the fruit of your own doing. You're wallowing in the mud of your own doing. That's what I mean when I say Satan gets a bad rap sometimes. And I'm not trying to have sympathy for him. Sometimes he's the one that threw the wrench in the in the cogs. But change your perspective. A godly perspective. These guys aren't chickens when they flee. And I hate that concept. I hate the word retreat. It's anathema to my vocabulary. But yet sometimes, in order to honor the Lord, Remember, it's okay to be angry, but in your anger, don't sin. You know, sometimes you get angry, you got to step aside. Go outside, take a walk. You know, a lustful environment. Hey, you got to be like Joseph and book it. You know, run, flee. What about when your drug pusher comes to town? Hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. What's up? You know, I got the nice stash here. Just hang up. You got to book it. You have to make these choices. To honor the Lord. And maintain a strong witness for Jesus Christ. And so look what happens here. So they flee. And then they flee. They head south. You know, they go uh, uh, south to Lystra. And then they go east to Derby. And then verse 7. And they were preaching the gospel there. So they never stopped. They never stop. They're just all about the Father's business. That's what I mean. You know, people say, oh yeah, I'm all about the Father's business. And then, you know, somebody comes around the corner with a pipe and you want to, you know, confront them with a bigger pipe. Well, you're not about the Father's business. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is not of this world. Remember, Pilate in front of Jesus Christ he straight up says, you know, I have the power to free you. And Jesus says, you know what? You have no power over me unless, you know, except that which has been given to you by my Father. You have no power over me. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And you could look at, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, like a sheep to the slaughter. And carnally speaking, and, you know, it pains me to say this, but you could say, look how weak that is. But no, in obedience to the Father, he's like a lamb led to the slaughter. In fulfillment of prophecy. All of it in obedience to the Father. Who would dare think of Jesus Christ as weak? 
That's why I say it. It pains me to even say it. But I was giving an example of the carnal mind. You know, you're preaching the gospel. You say, oh, yeah, I'm all about the father's business. Somebody comes and says, oh, I'm going to punch you in the face. You say, no, you're not. I got brass knuckles in my pocket. I'm going to knock you out and, you know, take some teeth with it, too. That's carnal. That's the carnal mindset. That's the man. That's the woman that needs to be reckoned dead. That's the man. That's the woman that needs to be carrying their cross to their death. You know what? Such a mindset reveals something. Is to say that man, that woman is not dead in Christ. Which means the old nature is still alive. Still alive. The old nature. You know, we have to be wise. I can't tell you how many people lack biblical wisdom. And I don't say that pridefully, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm the arbiter of wisdom. No. I'm just the opposite. They say, wow, Lord, you know how many times I tell the Lord, I don't know, Lord. Lord, I don't know what to do. You know how many times that happens? Lord, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You know what you do? You fall on your face before the Lord. Lord, what will you have me do? What should I do, Lord? And as surely as he lives, he speaks. Loud and clear. The question is, are your ears tuned in the right frequency? That's the question. Do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? It's so beautiful to see this. 20 years ago, I wouldn't even say that. I would be like in shock. Like what in the world is happening? But you see how beautiful this is. You know, being mindful of the carnal nature. They flee. And so look what happens here in verse 7. And they were preaching the gospel there. In verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul, heard Paul speaking, observing him intently. I love this. It's just so cool because it's like, you know, I, I don't understand where people get have the audacity to say that the Holy Spirit was reserved this moving of the Holy Spirit was reserved for two thousand years ago. I don't I don't understand that mindset. You see, this man heard Paul speaking, this cripple who was, you know, from his mother's womb, never walked, he says in verse eight. And then he says in verse nine, Paul observing him intently. So as Paul is speaking, Paul is like, he's noticing this guy. Noticing this cripple, observing him intently, translates as gazing intently and studying with the eyes and seeing that he had that he had faith to be healed. You see how beautiful this is? Number one, Paul has a different set of eyes. He doesn't have the eyes that he had several chapters ago. His eyes are finely tuned and they're getting more finely tuned. You know, have you ever been in a church setting where you have all these groups of people, you have like a whole bunch of people, and some people are bored out of their minds. They don't even want to be there. They're just sitting there. 
They might be on their phones doing whatever. They might have a Bible in their lap, but they're not even at the right book. They're not even following along. They're just kind of sitting there. But then you look, you know, a couple rows down or whatever, and you see another person, and they're like intently listening. You look again, you see another guy, he has tears streaming down his, his cheeks. You see an old lady, and she's intently listening. You see, you, church saves nobody. Church can't save you. It's not like, you know, you sit in a church and you're a Christian. Who, who are the ones who are intently listening? Who are the ones, you know, like it says here in verse 9, Paul was observing intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Remember, God is a rewarder of faith. We studied that in, in our studies through the book of Matthew. God is a rewarder of faith. Remember, he would say, you know, go, you know, your faith has made your made you whole. Your daughter is healed. Your faith has healed your daughter. Remember he told to the Roman soldier? Verse 10. Look what happens now. He uh, says, uh, uh, he said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. It's so cool. Remember, God is with them and he's granting signs and wonders. And a lot of times we look at the signs and wonders. We're like, wow, how come this wasn't happening then? How come the, the signs and wonders are happening today like it happened then? Well, I say change your perspective again. Rather than look at the signs and wonders, consider the faith that's being rewarded. Turn the token. Turn it around. There's another side to that token. One side, it's like, wow, look at the signs and wonders. I say turn it around. What is the faith of this crippled guy? Never walked. But what does his faith look like? Imagine what his faith must have been like just to be healed like that. When, when Paul says, stand up straight on your feet, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is like, bam, instant. A rewarder of faith is our Lord. In verse 11, now when the people saw what... Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying, In the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. That's what the people are saying, the multitudes of people. In verse 12, And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. Zeus, you know, it also translates as Jupiter. Zeus is the Greek god. Jupiter is the Roman god. What happened? Remember, we're in a Roman empire here in the book of Acts. We're in a Roman Empire, but they were still, still Grecian cultures. And you hear me give the example of Chinatown in New York, where you're in New York, you're in the United States, but you're also in Chinatown. So you have Chinese culture in New York, which is also in the United States. It's kind of that concept. So you have Grecian culture, but it's under Roman Empire. So, you know, you also see Zeus translated as Jupiter. And Zeus was the king of gods, so to speak, an idol. And it says, and Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. Hermes is the Greek god. The Roman version of this god is Mercury. Translates, it's, it's a messenger of the gods. So they called Paul Zeus, or they called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Remember, they're in the Grecian region. So the Grecian, 
you know, these Zeus and Hermes were very rampant. Kind of reminds me of the culture we live in today, where you have all kinds of religions, all kinds. Look at the street corners. What do you see? You see church of this, church of that. You know, church of Satan is on the rise. You have all these gods all over the place. But there is one God, one true God, the God of Israel, who has a only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who's Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Not these other idols. Buddha can't save you. Zeus can't save you. Hermes can't save you. All these idols. And so look what happens here in verse 13. Then the priest of then the priest of Zeus, so the, the, the religious leader of this idol, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. So they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. They were like, wow, you know, look, Zeus and Hermes are here. Let's worship to them. let's worship them and sacrifice unto them. So the priest was getting the oxen and the garlands at the gates and saying, hey, let's worship these guys. In verse 14, look what happens. But when, Paul, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitudes, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men with the same nature as you. I love this because you see their humility, their denial of worship and accolades. You know, a prideful mindset. A satanic mind. Remember when when, when uh, uh, Satan tempted Jesus Christ or tried to tempt Jesus Christ and says, I will have all the kingdoms of the world. Everybody will bow down and worship you. You know, you'll be king. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And the Lord was like, no way. No way. It's not going to happen. I think it's very interesting how Satan always presents alternatives to God's promises. You know why? Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All the kingdoms of this world will be given to him. You know, soon. He's coming again soon. And yet Satan gives him a, you know, something to consider. Satan gives him a proposition. And says, you know what? I'll make all these people worship you. All you have to do is worship me. You see how Satan is crafty and tricky? He's been tricking people from the beginning. The serpent of old in the garden. When you lean on God's promises, lean on God's promises. I can't tell you how many times people, they lean on God's promises and then they start to manipulate to try to achieve God's promises. No, that's satanic. That's evil. That's demonic. When you lean on God's promises, lean on Him and wait on Him. Period. Remain faithful to Him. Period. It's not to say, oh, God's word promised me, promised me, promises me this. So therefore... I'm going to coordinate with this guy. I'm going to coordinate with this lady. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to try to piece all these things together to make this thing come to pass. No, that's, that's the efforts of man. That's, that's man hands. That's your hands. 
Those are carnal hands. You can't lean on God's promises and manipulate. You can't lean on God's promises and choreograph. That's demonic. It is not of the Lord. It's to lean on God's promises and wait on Him, just like our Lord Jesus Christ did. You know, Jesus Christ didn't fall for that proposition, the satanic proposition. And look, He's King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, Satan tried to trick Him. And he used scripture in trying to trick him. Satan knows the Bible. Satan knows the Bible better than you know the Bible. Remember, he's been deceiving from the very beginning. Don't fall for his lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's his end goal. He wants to murder you. He wants to kill you. He wants to bring an end to you. That's the end game with Satan. He wants to kill you. And all that is good in your life. All your loved ones he wants to kill. You see, and the, the apostles here, in verse 15, they tore their clothes. And they were like, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing these things? We are men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. See, even in his heartache for the people, I mean, he's tearing his clothes. You know, in the Old Testament, you see people tear their clothes. It's like an act of sorrow. In some passages, you see the sackcloth and ashes. It's a form of sorrow. They tear their clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. It's a form of sorrow. And that's what Paul and the uh, Barnabas, they tear their clothes like it's breaking their heart what they're doing. They want to worship them, creation. And then all of a sudden, they, they start preaching the good news to them. Turn from these useless things to the living God. You believe in Zeus? You believe in Hermes? Turn away from these idols to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. <clears throat> in verse 16, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. You see, it's... Now is a different time, is what Paul is saying. In bygone generations, in you know, in the past, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. You know, that was a different time. This is the now, is what Paul is saying. And in this now, God is gathering the people. That's why Paul is he's crying out to the people. Turn from these useless things to the living God. What you were doing 10 years ago, that was 10 years ago. I'm talking about right here and now. In verse 17, Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. Give us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. You see, in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift. All of creation have tasted of God's goodness. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 7, verse 17. He did good. He gave us rain, 
fruitful seasons. Your hearts have been filled with food and gladness. That's what blows me away sometimes you talk to non-believers. They always, they always start off with putting God in a negative light. And they say, you know, if God is real, why did he allow the Holocaust? If God is real, why does he allow war? Why does he allow rape? You know, if God is good, why does he allow these things? It's to say, no, why are you painting God in a negative light? That's man what you're talking about. God is good. He gave you rain from heaven. He gave you fruitful seasons. He filled your hearts with food and gladness. You know how happy you were at the birth of your son? You know how happy you were at the birth of your daughter? You know how happy you were when you got married? You know how happy you were when, you know, fill in the blank. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. You know, talk to a deaf guy. You know, a deaf guy or somebody who's hard at hearing goes to, has an operation or whatever. And all of a sudden they can hear. It's like, wow, thank you, doctor. It's like, no, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's so cool when you have like Christian doctors because they're like ministering as, you know, as the, before the operation is consultation. They'll say, yeah, I'm a doctor, but I'm also a Christian. And, you know, I went to, you know, this is my ministry. And I'm going to operate on you and we're going to pray. I'm going to operate on you and I'm going to pray that the Lord restore your hearing. I'm going to pray that the Lord will help you walk again. We're going to put this prosthetic here. You know, the Lord helped me with my education. And, you know, the Lord gave me these skills. And then all of a sudden you're walking again. All of a sudden you can hear again. It's like, wow, praise, praise Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm not minimizing miracles and healing. But, you know, put things in perspective. Change the perspective. Remember, there's always two sides to every token. Always two sides. You know, if there are more sides, it's not a token. It's a dice. And you don't want to roll the dice with eternity. Although many do. And they ask these questions. You know, if God is so good, why does he allow war? Why does he allow murder? Why does he allow rape? No, that's man, my friend. Is to say God is good. God is good. He gave you, you know, he gave you rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, and he filled your hearts with food and gladness. He is good. You see, it's to change their perspective. You know, sometimes when people say, you know, if God is good, why does he allow war? Sometimes I think that's a cop out. I mean, it's a, one thing to engage these people, you know, and, you know, put things in perspective for them. But sometimes they've made up their mind already. And they just want to pick a fight with you. You know, and it's not to say don't back down from a fight, this spiritual fight. You know, always be a fisherman. But a warrior fisherman. Firmly grounded on the, uh, grounded on the rock of salvation. You see, it's so cool. And so look what happens here. In verse 18. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing, sacrificing to them. So, you know, the people weren't listening. Straight up, they weren't listening. And so they devise their own response 
to the miracle. Remember, there's the guy who hasn't walked since he was born. Never walked before. And all of a sudden, he's up and about. Walking, jumping. And, you know, they devised their own, you know, their own response to this miracle. Verse 19 is very interesting. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. You say, wait a second here. From Antioch and Iconium? Remember, the apostles here, they're in Lystra. You know what that means? The Jews had been following them. From Iconium and Antioch. Iconium is at the beginning of the chapter. Chapter Antioch is straight up chapter, chapter 13, the previous chapter. And the Jews are chasing them. They're right on their tail. They're following the apostles. Talk about angry. Talk about being angry. Talk about having their hearts cut and they're angry. You see, it's talk about poisoning the minds of people, just as we looked at in verse 2. And what's very interesting here, it's the same thing. It says the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, you know, I have to say something here. They persuaded the multitudes. Sometimes it will seem like evil is prevailing. In your walk with the Lord, sometimes it will seem like evil is prevailing. But you know what? Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer because there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Look at what happens here in verse 19. The Jews came and then they persuaded the multitudes. Look what happens. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Imagine how lifeless his body must have been. I mean, you see like in a fight, you see a fist fight. And you see, you know, one guy is stronger or faster or, you know, trained better. Knows how to fight. And you look at the other guy. It's like, man, you know, the other guy, he's toast. But have you ever seen a guy get like so beaten that they're just like a limp corpse on the ground? I mean, they're not dead, but it, it looks like it. No strength in the body. Imagine what Paul's limp body must have been like. They straight up stoned him. They stoned him and then they dragged him out of the city. They just said, you know what? He's dead. They thought he was dead. They su supposing him to be dead. That's what I mean when I say sometimes it will seem like evil is prevailing. Because put yourself in Paul's shoes here. Does that mean he gives up the fight? Does that mean that evil does prevail? No. Not at all. Far from it. Far from it. <clears throat> Look at verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. I love Paul so much. You'd think he would flee. You'd think he would run. But what does he do? He goes back into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. So now they head east. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, notice disciples here are pupils. You know, it's not to make converts, 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. It's not a sales pitch. It's not a sales pitch to make converts. Jesus Christ said, go and make disciples. Go and make pupils. You know what a pupil is? Somebody who has the desire to learn. That's a pupil. I mean, go to a college class. Go to higher education. Go to university. You know, those are kids that have paid to be there. Or parents who have paid to be there. Or nowadays, governments that have paid to be there. But those are kids who have, you know, they want to be there. For whatever, you know, medical degree, whatever degree. I don't know. But they pay to be there. They desire to be there. They, they, they desire to learn. That's what a disciple is in Christ. A pupil is literally how it translates. A person with a desire to learn. Young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter. That's why you hear me say, going to church, it doesn't save you. It's not, you know, we're Christians by osmosis. You sit in the pew and all of a sudden, you, by osmosis, you're a Christian. No. Pupil. Be a disciple. Be a pupil of Jesus Christ and His Word. Remember, the Word became flesh. And so in verse 18, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. This is so unheard of. They go back to the hornet's nest. Straight up, no fear. No fear. Remember, in verse 21, they made many disciples. And what do they do? They return to those cities. They return to the hotbed. They return to the hornet's nest without fear. In verse 2, here's the reason why. <clears throat> Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Now you see the shepherd side of Paul. You know, in the previous verses, we've seen the warrior side of Paul. We've seen the fisherman side of Paul. And now we're seeing the shepherd side. Not just Paul, but Barnabas and the apostles. We're seeing the shepherd side. Is to say, hey, you little lambs need food. You little lambs need food. Remember, new believers in Jesus Christ. The places that they went, scattering seeds. And then you have new believers. It's not to just go to those cities, scatter seed, and then abandon the cities. You have fresh lambs there. Brand new lambs. And so what do they do? They go back to the hornet's nest, to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue, which translates as to persevere in the faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want to lord over your faith. If you have a highlighter, highlight that part in verse 22. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Tribulations here is affliction, anguish, burdens, persecution, and troubles. And Paul is saying, that's how we enter the kingdom of God. That's the means by which we enter the kingdom of God. Remember, count the cost. Count the cost. So many people say, oh, I'm suffering. As a Christian, I'm suffering. 
I'm suffering. This guy is telling me he hates me. This lady is telling me she hates you or hates me. You talk to the guy. You talk to the lady. Like, what's up? You know, what's going on here? And come to find out, you know, to tell a guy, to tell a brother, to tell a sister, you know, these people don't like you because you're kind of a jerk. These people don't like you because you wronged them. That's why these people don't like you. And that's why you're suffering. You're not suffering because of Jesus Christ. You're suffering because of you. But when you suffer because of Jesus Christ, when you stand for righteousness and people hate you, when you speak truth and people hate you, when you speak truth and people poison minds by persuasion, vexing other people, that's the means by which we enter the kingdom of God. Remember, it's a narrow road, a narrow path. Wide is the way that leads to hell, but narrow is the way that leads to heaven, to eternal life. Narrow is the way, and few find it is what Jesus Christ says. I like that. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. It's so powerful because you know what? When you're on the receiving end of persecution, when you're on the receiving end of affliction, anguish, burdens, and troubles, and it's not because of you. It's not because you're a jerk. People don't hate you because you're a jerk. People hate you because of Jesus Christ in you. It's to say, wow, Lord. And you can rejoice in the Lord because you were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. You see, look at verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church, these elders translates as presbyteros in the Greek. It's a presbyter. That's where we get the word Presbyterian. It's like, you know, a form of church government. Now the modern day Presbyterianism leans heavily on Reformed theology and Calvinism, which I don't partake of. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't prescribe to Reformed theology. But you see the appointing of the presbyters here, the elders, church government. And it's not church government for the sake of government. It's to feed and protect the, the body. Feed and protect these churches that are growing. A church that started with, you know, two people, then three people, then four, then five. And they would meet in homes, little home fellowships. Home churches. And that's what, they, that's what the apostles are doing now. They're appointing elders in every church. And, with, and prayed and fasting. And prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they're entrusted to God. They're entrusted and presented to God. You see how beautiful this is? The early church, it's growing the early church itself is suffering through many tribulations, many affliction, much anguish, many burdens, persecutions, and troubles. Just bear in mind what we're reading in this chapter alone. What about the previous chapters? You see individually, somebody like Stephen, and then you see corporately how the church fled Jerusalem. It's going to be the same in the last days. 
It's the same right now in the persecuted church in China, in Russia, in Arab countries, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Canada even. You know, Mexico. You say Mexico. You know what's happening with the uh, missionaries, Christian missionaries in, in, in Mexico and South America, Central America? The Catholics have such a strong uh, they have a, a strong grasp on those areas, on those regions. And the, the evangelicals come in, and it's the Catholics that are coming against them. The Catholics. You say, well, I thought Catholicism was Christianity. No, it's not. Read the Bible and you'll realize Catholicism is not Christianity. Just like, you know, what's happening here with how the people, the priest of Zeus, wanted to worship, you know, Paul and Barnabas. These a town with other gods. But the persecuted church today is receiving persecution from Roman Catholicism. From Arab countries, the Islamists, from uh, all, all these factions, even the uh, uh, Buddhists, Hinduists in India. They're beating up and arresting Christians. You see, so we're in this bubble here in Western culture. We're in this bubble. These are things that we don't see widespread. But it's not to say it's not happening because it certainly is happening. You know, hearkening this truth, what we highlighted in verse 22, that through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. And you see, there's provision being made for the church. These elders being appointed in the early church, being appointed in these home fellowships with praying and with fasting. And they're being entrusted to God, entrusted and presented to God. It's so cool what's happening here. So beautiful. The birth of the early church. You know, not just here, but look at Philip, what we read a couple chapters ago. And the Holy Spirit is moving. In verse 24, And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. So now they go to the coastal area. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there, they sailed to Antioch. Now, this is, this is not the Antioch uh, uh, from the previous chapter. This is the Antioch that's north of Jerusalem. So they get on a boat and then they set sail. They go east to, you know, towards Antioch, but it's the Antioch that's north of Jerusalem. Just look at maps in the back of your Bible. You'll see the track that they took. Old school. No social media. You know, they're not making Facebook posts about, you know, hey, guys, let's do this. They're not. No social. It's old school. Straight up old school. I love it. It's so beautiful. It says, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended. And same word, entrusted and presented to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And you think like, whoa, this is so cool. They're done. Far from it. They're not done at all. Much more work is going to be done. Much more work has to be done. And it will be done. And you know what's so cool? In obedience, you see, they stay faithful to the call. Faithful to the call. That's what's so comforting about the persecution in the early church. You say, how could that be comforting? Well, the last day's church is going to taste of that cup. The last day's church will taste of that cup of persecution, hardcore persecution. It's already happening in other parts of the world. 
but the last days church especially will taste of that cup of trembling. That cup of tribulation and affliction and anguish of burdens of persecutions and troubles. So much so that it could cost them the life. It could cost life here on this earth. Life eternal, but life on this earth is what it can cost. That's why Jesus Christ says, count the cost. Count the cost. And so look what happens in verse 27. They get back to their home group. And it says, Now when they had come and gathered the church together. Sunago and Ecclesia. Those are two beautiful words. Sunago and Ecclesia. You know what that is? It's the, the saints assembled as one. The body of Christ. A little small fellowship. Might have been a bigger fellowship. But Paul, the apostles, and Barnabas, they go back there. Sunago and Ecclesia. The saints assembled as one. Just like we mentioned on, 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 uh, on Wednesday. You know, the assembling of the body. Very important in the last days. Very, very important in the last days. We're in this weird phase right now where we have, you know, social distancing. So much so that it's impacting our fellowship in a major way. So much so that this you know, stay-at-home order, it's really impacting the churches at large because you have people, Christians, that are growing anemic. You say, what do you mean anemic? Well, you know, maybe they're lambs. Maybe they're brand-new believers. And you know, there's no food for the little lambs. That's why it's so important to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a student of Jesus Christ. A pupil of Jesus Christ. A friend of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, we're mobile. We can go mobile. And we have the word with us. And we go mobile. I, I have a, certain words I have a problem with. Mobile. Some people say mobile. But mobile is one of my words. It's like it rolls off the tongue weird. But that's what's so beautiful about having discipline as a disciple. Because discipline, it's like, wow, I'm going to be in your word, Lord. I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to be on my knees. And Lord, you know what? This is such a beautiful time of intimacy. But you know what? Lambs. Lambs, we have to be careful with the lambs. Because they don't, they're, they're like babies. They're like precious little lambs. They're not sheep yet. They haven't grown. That's what's so important. You know, like in verse 22, to strengthen the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. The fellowship of the saints is so beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. And it's so important. The Sunago and Ecclesia, saints assembled as one. And we'll get there. We'll get to that point. You know, in the Lord's timing, we'll get to that point. And I can't wait. We have to be in prayer. Seeking the Lord. Lord, what will you have us do? What's the next step? What's the next phase for our church body? Our church fellowship? In the age of social distancing. In the age of certain closures. You know, essential businesses. 
you know, and praise be to the Lord because, you know, the feds just came down and said, hey, churches are, all the churches are essential. So it's to say, okay, wow, okay, praise the Lord. Rejoice, but then at the same time, to be wise. To be wise. And seek the face of the Lord during these times. And so they gathered, in verse 27, they come and gathered the church together. They reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You see, it's like reporting. Hey, guys, let me tell you what happened. You know, and they're just reporting. Look what happened. And the church isn't bored. They're lit. They want to hear these things. What are the exploits that the Lord allowed you to do in, in these towns? What are these exploits, you know? What happened at Lystra? What happened at Iconium? What happened at Antioch in Derby? Tell us. We want to know. You know what happened? You see, it's so beautiful because the church, they're one. And I, this, this home group that they're meeting with, I bet you it's not captured in Scripture, but I'm 99.999% positive that they were praying for them. They were praying for this little entourage. I guarantee you. I, I don't even want to say 99.9%. I want to say 100%. Praying. Paving the way. Lord, have favor on Paul. Have favor on Barnabas. <clears throat> they're coming, they're going to come against the Jews. Just like we heard what happened in Jerusalem. And they killed Jesus Christ our Lord. But Lord, we pray that you give them favor. Give them favor. That the seeds that are planted can grow. You see the church praying for one another. Praying for the mission. Praying for the seeds. Praying for the hearts where the seeds fall into. That's why you hear me say from time to time in our book of Acts study. It's like, wow, this is a different church. It's unlike, you know, mainstream churches today. It shouldn't be, but yet it is. It shouldn't be at all. But look at the prayer warriors. Look at the church in, you know, in Mary's house a couple chapters ago. Late at night, you know, nonstop. They're not sleeping. What they're doing, they're praying. The whole town is asleep. And the angel of the Lord busted out Peter. And the, the saints were praying at the home of Mary. You see, the Lord answered their prayers. And they didn't even know it yet when Peter went to the gate. You see how beautiful this is? And so they're reporting. They reported all that God had done with them. And that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The saints assembled as one. We'll get there one day. We're just in this weird phase right now. In this weird phase, in this weird bump in the road, so to speak, have intimacy with the Lord. Be in His Word. Be in prayer. And make sure your ears are properly tuned. You know, you might have to adjust them a little bit. You might have to adjust your ears, you know. Turn to the left, turn to the right, you know. Just like you tune a radio, old school. You might have to adjust your ears and pray. And you know what's going to happen? The Lord will speak. The Lord is speaking through His Word. 
is to say, Lord, open doors for us. Lord, we plead. We cry out to you, Lord. Look at our small fellowship, Lord. Lord, it's like so tiny, but it's so deep. But then at the same time to have wisdom and say, Lord, where can we meet in fellowship? Where can we meet and assemble as saints together as one, as the Sunago and Ecclesia? Lord, give us guidance in these last days. It's so beautiful what happens here in the book of Acts. So we're going to end our study here. And we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in chapter 15. Love you guys. Miss you guys. And uh, God bless you.